Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a very special guest with us today on the I Drink From Skulls podcast. He put the door in DoorDash. He is the king of ops. He's founded his own not-for-profit, and he runs all things that are Skulls. Welcome, Mr. Jared Carter. Thank you for having me. Jared, Jared. I love it. Welcome to the show, my good man. And this has been this has been a long time coming, I feel like. You know, we've been working on uh working together for a very long time and it's just exciting. Here I am, two thousand twenty three, getting to and I'm on the podcast. That's amazing. Gotta love that. Let's go. I drink from skulls. Drink from the skulls of my enemies. For everyone's benefit, Jared has uh, recently taken a role with the uh, Skull Taker crew, and he now heads up our operations. So thought it would be awesome to have him on the show today. But for everyone's benefit, who who is Jared? Jared, multifaceted character. Mostly, I am a uh, husband to an amazing wife, 17 years, father to three really cool boys, 15 years old is for the oldest, all the way down to nine, two dogs, don't really care for them very much. Uh, like you mentioned before, I'm, I do some uh, nonprofit work on, uh, you know, when I'm not doing operations. And then I also make a podcast, a science fiction podcast. I'm pretty proud of it. And your podcast just on that has had a lot of traction, gets a lot of downloads. I remember seeing that. Yeah. It's so cool. It hit 100,000 downloads. Just uh, just recently, yeah. yeah. It's a weird Getting one. Getting it out there. <laughs> Love that, man. And so we've known each other for probably two years now. We've gone back and forward, supporting each other in, in our wins and on social media and just staying in contact. Before we got in, but like before I got to know you and everything else, let's talk a little bit about where you've been um, and how you got here. Sure, yeah. Well, I grew up in a really small town. In terms of work, there was... Uh, you know, you worked for the local prison. We had a huge prison population not too far from us. So you either did that. There was a few other, a few other industry uh, type jobs. I was kind of a wayward kid. I came from a family like uh, that business owners, entrepreneurs, they, they just like, like start something, start something, start something. And, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Oddly enough, I actually went into ministry and I did that for about 10 years. And so I'd hold some wow. odd jobs on the side, but I worked as a youth minister and associate pastor um, in different places. And then about 10 years ago, I got my first job in operations. I went to work for this amazing, I was so fortunate. It was for a company that did assisted living and my boss just happened to have been a vice president of operations for a huge chain of hospitals in California. She was essentially in retirement. Here's this amazing person working for this company. I think she's making $17 an hour at this point. And she is receiving, and she's showing me these. She's having headhunters reach out to her, offering her jobs for $250,000, $300,000. So here I am. I have access from like no business experience outside of nonprofit to suddenly just having this mentor and this friend for three years named Linda. And Linda was just amazing. And she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And she firmly believed that I could, that I could su succeed. So I went from there to working for a startup called Samsung uh, Smart Things, working as a technical support manager, uh, essentially an operations manager role for the, the whole of our department in Tucson, Arizona. And it was fully prompted by the fact that she had expressed some sense of belief in me, right? And so from there, I just kept going. Right after that, immediately, I went to 
uh, DoorDash, which folks in the U.S. are definitely familiar with. Huge org company here. It wasn't too big when I first started there. I think fewer than 1,000 people, around 900. And I took over their enterprise content and onboarding team. So I had a team of range from like 35 to 40 individuals. Their whole job was getting national partners for DoorDash onto the platform. What was really cool about that is the faster we could go, the more restaurants that we could get added. It was really the DoorDash, like the food delivery wars were happening uh, <laughs> at that point. It was between us and like Uber Eats and a few different things. And my team and some additional teams who were responsible for onboarding folks onto the platform, we were really responsible in huge ways for the company's success. And what was awesome, I think it was 2020, we were the fastest growing company in America. So I went from wow. so I went from this real small job working for an assisted living within a few years, along with other individuals, I'm not going to take full credit for this, but was directly responsible for, for producing millions, potentially billions of dollars worth of revenue for that company. So that was just an amazing experience. And moving on from there, my confidence was just at an all-time high. And going back to where I came from, uh, from my family in, you know, growing up with this, this entrepreneurial mindset, my desire was instantly, okay, now I can be a little more selective. I want to work for a small company. I want to work for DoorDash when it was still 10 people, right? 20 yeah. people, 30 people. I want to get in on the ground floor, take the experience that I've had and help these organizations to grow. So I went from that, uh, went to go work for a coaching guy took over the sales team, took over, became an operations like consultant to the rest of the organization, grew the team from, I can't remember, five to 50, but also because of t after taking over sales, two million a year, we were two or three million a year that we were tracking towards to like 15 million a year. Yeah. And that again, it just really like, oh man, I love doing this, lit a fire. And then I got tired. So I took a break and I made a podcast for for about a year or whatever. And I was like, well, I know who's next on the list who I want to join. Um, that was Matt Smith. That's such a cool story, man. Yeah. Um, so many good nuggets there. And I want to dig in a little bit deeper. Firstly, at your time at DoorDash, because that's just cool and exciting and mm -hmm. fastest growing company in America at that point uh, yeah. for, for, some, at a, for a period of time anyway. That's amazing um, in itself. Let's talk about when you when you first landed there. Talk to me about that because I kind of know a little bit. I'd love everyone to hear more. It was really interesting. Um, so first off, I interviewed for that job in July of 2018. I had not managed managers at that point for the amount of experience that I had. Probably not a role. I mean, just purely like God-given somehow I got that job. Really what it came down to was the guy who was the site director for DoorDash's corporate office in Phoenix. We interviewed and I didn't get the job, which was an onboarding manager. Well, a few months later, I find out, he reaches out, they've created a job just for me. And wow. so I'm thinking, this is awesome. I moved my family all, you know, from Tucson, Arizona to Phoenix, Arizona. We leave all of our friends. We leave our community. We move up there, but I'm stoked. I'm ready to do this. As soon as I get there, he pulls me into the office, the guy who hired me. Jared, I'm leaving the company. I was like, what? He's like, I'm out of here in a week. Um, and then as soon as he, as soon as he leaves, uh, the folks who are, who, you know, were kind of like managers on my level, 
suddenly decide they want to get rid of my role, essentially. Like, they don't think that my my arm of the organization needs to exist. And I'm like, hey, guys, wow. um, I have a family of, we're a family of five that I'm supporting, like, on our, on my own. Please don't get rid of my job. Anyway, so there was a lot, it was a very stressful time in, in my life. And I was just kind of thrust into it. There was nobody teaching me what to do. Nobody showing me the ropes. And what I did is I just started sitting with my team. Like I had this this large team. I started sitting with them uh, every single day for hours a day, every individual, getting to know them, getting to know the ins and outs of their job. And then also that's where I learned for the first time, really, like how to navigate office politics, which I think is such a nasty, it has been such a nasty word up to this point. But I really look at it as an opportunity for I really see connecting with individuals as people uh, not necessarily becoming best friends, but you can become friends with them, but really just connecting with people in a way that allows them to see you coming to them, not with an ego, like, hey, I'm going to prove myself, but hey, here's everything that you're not going to like about me. I got a few things about you that I don't like. I think we have a lot more in common. I want to see you succeed. I want you to see, uh, I want you to want me to succeed. And over time just became, I got, I had the opportunity to become a driver of massive amounts of health in that organization. And Matt, I really do believe that a big part of why my teams were so successful is because they were immensely happy to be working on the teams that I led. And that was proven whenever we did our engagement surveys. I was in the top 5% of managers in the whole organization. This is when we were like 2,500 people, top five managers for employee engagement. People did not leave my team unless I fired them for being toxic. People did not leave my team unless they were fired or unless they found a better job. I would help them to find better jobs. I was committed to people's success. I wanted them to be promoted within the company. Folks just didn't leave. It was awesome. Love that. Yeah. um, Still kind of in the same way. Like if we can build a healthy organization and that means a lot of different things. It's not just being nice to people or whatever. Um, If we can build a healthy organization, we can build a successful organization and just thinking about that out loud like most people predominantly if they're in the office environment specifically your work environment that that is where you're spending the most amount of time like i get you you know eight to ten hours or maybe more depending on what's happening but that's where a lot of the crux of the time is because you if you take out sleep and travel and and everything else like you really want and need it to to go well or it's gonna Life's going to be a lot tougher than it needs to be. That's for sure. So that makes sense that, that, you know, it's such a good, it's such a good point. A lot of people, and I think I did this at one point in my life, a lot of people look at work as work is this really nasty thing that I have to go do for half of my week. And I just need to get through it, get as much out of it as I can, you know, no real purpose to it. Just, just push the button, go home. And then I can go live my life. But but work is an immensely important part of our life. And when our work is not meaningful to us, when we can't find purpose in it, when we can't feel good about the work that we're doing, it affects every other part of our life. I love my job and I work hard to make sure the jobs that I work are jobs that I love because I know that that is going to flow into every other aspect of my life. It's going to affect how I parent my kids. It's going to affect how I pursue my wife. 
It's going to affect how I live in my community. Um, if I'm miserable at work, then I'm going to be miserable everywhere. And what I find with people, the empl my employees, is that people really do want to work. I think it's an, yeah. I think it's ingrained in folks. They want to work, and when they don't, it's because we haven't created a work environment that provides them with purpose, that provides them with a sense of meaning. We haven't defined what it means to win, so they never know if they're doing a good job or not. Um, there's just so many things that play into it. But once you once you're able to connect people's calling in life to their vocation. Once you're able to bring those together, close that gap a little bit, they, they're incredibly loyal. I hear from folks all the this is, I can go off on a tangent here, but you know, I hear from employers all the time, nobody wants to work. And it's like, no, if, if you, if you find, I'm going to, I might offend some people here. If this, that's good. If this hurts someone's heart a little <laughs> bit, like stings. Um, if you're, if you're of the opinion that nobody wants to work, there's just a really good chance that nobody wants to work for you. Right. And that's yeah. like a hard, a hard reality. That's the kind of thing that should force us to take a look in the mirror and go, okay, maybe it's not the people. Maybe it's actually me. And I've had to do that at different points. Yeah. You get a little bit of power. You, you're the boss. Nobody ever taught you how to do that. You screw yeah. it up for a while and then you get better. The punch yep. in the face we all probably need from time to time. Yeah, we do. <laughs> that's what it's all about on the I Drink From Skulls podcast. We keep it real. So. That's right. That's a good, should hurt. good nugget to share. <laughs> yeah. So many good takeaways there. Let's go, let's push forward a little bit here. And I want to focus on what you did next. So you, you've, you identified that whilst you're an operations guy and systems and processes are your jam, that having that connection with people, how, how important that is. And you saw the benefit from that of a team that was engaged. They enjoyed coming to work and they they went all in for you you had really high success with that across a big section of you know there's thousands and thousands of people within the organization and you're ranking up in the top top percentile there and then you took that you know what you figured out and developed and implemented that type of system to where you went next starting it was a small organization five and this this will relate to a lot of contractors and this is where mm. we're going with that but five people, five people sort of thing. And then you, you implemented that same model. Like how did you, what, what did you do when you started at the next company? It was in large part, you know, I talked about the employee health stuff at DoorDash. There was a lot of other growth that was, that was taking place. And it's because I was surrounded by some really amazing people. And as the company grew, eventually someone did a couple of different people, different layers of, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm not talking about about DoorDash, but that's what a lot of these companies do, right? They create many more layers of management possibly than there needs yeah. to be. But I was really fortunate. I had a senior manager and I had a site director and, you know, she was, she oversaw like 1500 folks. They were just really, really smart and they were good at really different things. She was a huge fan. I think they both were, um, of, of like the Toyota method of approaching operations and really what that just came down to was taking the time to take a deep look at every aspect of the way that your company or the parts of the company that you oversee every aspect of the way that your company operates and drilling into every step in every process identifying what the problems are wh what is slowing you down where are the pain points that you haven't taken the time to fix yet. What you find is that at almost every step, whether it's the client journey, the sales process, 
delivery of your product, there is something wrong with every step. There's always a little bit of time to be gained or a lot of time to be gained. There's steps in your process that don't need to exist at all. They're not actually helping you. They're just holdovers from something you started when you when you started the company. That was hugely shaping for me. And it's how we got to a point at DoorDash where I was able to take my teams um, and 4X their productivity while not really growing the team at all. It's like we added three, you know, four times as many people as what we had, but we didn't. We were just going four times faster than we were. And so that's one of the first things I think I'm able to bring into an organization. I just start looking for those inefficiencies right away. Yep. What is the thing that we're doing? Oh, we're copying and pasting for two hours a day so we can keep our reporting up. Let's automate that so we can free you up to, to do something else with your time that's beneficial to the company. So that's a huge piece. As we're talking about like contractors, if I could recommend anything to anybody who started, started an organization who is, you know, maybe a couple years into it, they're doing really well. Like they're, they're great in terms of revenue, growth, all those things. First thing I would recommend is, man, take a look at everything that you've been doing up to this point, even if it costs you a little money right now, right? Like that's one job that you can't do because you're going to devote four hours a week to deep diving into every aspect of your business and identifying the issues. Do that because man, five years from now, it's like, do you want to make a little bit of money right now? Or do you want to make a lot more money six months down the road, a year down the road. And so you drill into those processes. I like to write it out as a, as a map, right? So I do like a flow chart. I think I have one somewhere on my desk. I'm not sure where it's at. Um, just draw out that, that, that flow chart, you know, every decision, every step of that process, and then take the time to look at that first one, write out all the issues, like I mentioned before. And you just do that until you have a list of like 200 issues. And here's where the real gold, uh, comes in. Once you have that list of all the issues in your processes, you you go in and you identify, okay, which of these are the most impactful for my business? Okay, here's this step in my process where we're experiencing a ton of pain. We are losing a lot of money. We are going really slow. It's, it's ruining our efficiency, whatever. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, how hard is it for me to fix this really high level issue? Well... It's going to take me three days. It's going to take me a week. Okay, cool. I got that on the list. Now I make the next one. Okay, this one's not quite as impactful as this other issue that I identified, but it's still pretty impactful and it's going to take me 20 minutes to fix. And you just keep going down the list like this, right? And then you, and then this is where you just win like instantly, huge win. You look at that list and you filter it by what are the most impactful issues and what is the least amount of time that it takes to fix. And now you have a list of impactful issues that are real easy to fix. And you just start knocking those out slowly. You'll move down the list and you'll get to those ones that are like, these take a really long time to fix. And they're, it's not going to be hugely beneficial. We can, uh, we can chip away at those for a year, but man, knock out that first, those first 10 issues. Boom. You're already two times as fast. I guarantee you as you were before. Yeah. And so that's what I bring. That's what I brought. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, man. And yeah, I know, I personally know the impact that had on the on the real estate coaching business um, from our chats and going back and forth. It wasn't just all me sending you memes and things about how good my hair was. We did you did get to share some cool stuff too. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was very impactful. I feel like it motivated me. <laughs> that's what it's all about. 
I remember you sharing, um, like you started at this, this new company and you approached it exactly how you just laid it out before. You identified what the hell's going on? Where's where's all these times and inefficiencies, inefficiencies being spent? What can be automated and what can you have the most benefit and impact on and create value for this business quickly? And, and that's what you did. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so th- it, it kind of comes back to my philosophy of uh, the workforce, right? Going back to everybody wants to go to work and they want to be able to do their job. I kind of feel like the role of somebody who's in operations, it's multifaceted. I, one of the one of the big pieces, and we can talk about this a little later if you want to, one of the big pieces is an operations person just executes on the vision of the CEO, of the visionary, of the owner. Like that's your whole job is to make sure that they want to see happen, happens. But another really big piece to me is this belief that rather than trying to make an individual go faster, which is good, right? Like we can bug people to go faster. We can coach them to to be more efficient, make better use of their time. But I find it so much more effective to change everything around them, right? And that goes back to that process piece. So take a sales guy, for instance, you have a salesperson on your team and you're telling them, you know, cause you saw a video on YouTube, you're telling them, <laughs> Hey, eight times, if this number changes so much, I don't know if you, you, you may have your own number, but it's like, this number of follow-ups is the number of follow-ups that will get them to respond. Yeah. And it's either five, eight, 13, or 30, uh, just depending on who you're listening to. It's 30. <laughs> 30 is the right one. Call the damn leads. Call the damn leads. Um, <laughs> and so, so you got that guy and you tell him, look, and here's the deal. What do we know about sales guys? Are sales guys, sales guys want to make money. They're not operations yeah. guys. They don't want to deal with spreadsheets. They hate that stuff. So I want to get that stuff out of their hands. I don't want them having to go into a spreadsheet every day, update it to make sure that they know that they're following up with somebody. Everything can automate that. There's not a CRM yeah. out there apart from maybe free ones. And even some of the free ones, you can automate a follow-up process for a salesperson. So do that, do that instead. It's so much better. I don't want them to have to think about it. Okay. If I can't, if I can't automate a part of a salesperson's process to free them up for selling, I'm going to hire someone else to do all the parts of the job that are taking time away from them selling. I'm going essentially automate it with people who are just pushing buttons and know what buttons to push, know what it means to win. That's the kind of stuff that I keep an eye out for. Um, yeah. in a large part is how do I take the people who are doing the thing that they're doing, what they're good at and remove every obstacle from their way so they can just do their job and do it quickly without yeah. getting frustrated. If I start to go, go all over the place, I'm thinking about, no, I'm thinking about a, a lot of different things, but that's, that's a big piece for me. And that's kind of what I did walking into that company was remove as many inefficiencies as I could really focus on, especially the sales team. I'm a huge, I'm a huge believer that money is not the most important thing in the world, but it does fund all the most important things in the world. So the first thing I want to do is make the sales team really, really effective in tandem with making sure that the parts of the business that are delivering the product are delivering a really good product. Like those are the the two things you knock out first. I love that. One thing I've noticed with, after dealing with hundreds and hundreds of contractors and roofers and home improvement specialists in the last five years now is that one of the biggest inefficiencies I see after digging into their CRMs is that the number of people that get stuck, and here's a big hack for everyone, by the way, uh, but the the number of people that get stuck on the signing the proposal stage or signing the contract stage, 
because there's there's friction there. What's the friction? Well, we've emailed we've emailed our potential client. We'll call, we'll call them a client now because they've they said they want to move forward. We've just emailed them a word doc. We've made it really hard. We're making them print it out, sign it, scan it back. All right, and then even before that, we're just emailing it to them. We don't we haven't secured a time with them to get them on the phone or in person. We're just emailing it out. What do we know about emails? Most of them don't get opened and read. Most people's inboxes are kind of ugly. Thousands and thousands of emails sitting there. Yep. So this is such an important step that if if the if someone had spent some time and focus and and put into to this part of the process, how much quickly things would move. It's crazy. So to break that down, if we we said we got a commitment from someone, they're wanting to move forward, we then let them know exactly what our process is that we're going to send them let's let's make it a DocuSign or something like that where they can sign electronically. Make it easy for them. Yeah. And then we're going to let them know when we're going to do it. And even better, if you could have a, a five or ten minute call to guide them through that, like get it on your calendar, get it on their calendar so they know. Then you can keep the keep things moving forward. Don't get stuck with silly bullshit. That's yes. That's something I've seen. Such a simple thing. Because then if you if you're getting people they've signed up, imagine all the, the flow on effects from there without having to waste time on on that piece of the puzzle you can be way more proactive with what you're ordering with your suppliers with with everything else just from fixing one simple thing it's so true matt and it applies to i think both your employees and to your customers and internal and external stakeholders humans like we're 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 simple i feel like for the most part and if you give us an extra step we're just not going to do it a lot of the time. We're we're yeah. kind of naturally, we naturally operate that way. And when it comes to something, I think like start signing a service agreement, you could probably talk more to this than I could. But I feel like with something like signing a service agreement, nobody likes to sign the contract, right? It's like going yeah. to the car lot. It's fun to go to the car lot and to test the car. But when you're finally sitting in that office, that's when your heart starts to go, oh man, that's my money. Yeah. Like, and when I sign my name, <laughs> my money's gone. And that's stressful. Yeah. So you need to make that as not stressful as you can. And you also, like you said, you need to make it happen. When I go to the court, when I went and bought my, my forerunner last year, I went up to the desk and you know, this was after the test drive and the guy says, okay, so you want to move forward? Let's go see our finance guy. He walked me over. It felt gross, but he walked me over to the lobby outside of like the finance guys signing paperwork piece. And he stood there next to us and waited with us and it wasn't until afterwards that i realized he wanted to make sure that we didn't get up and walk away from the lobby for the finance department because we might just go get in our old minivan and drive away you know maybe this guy's love for the forerunner is not going to help him at this point he needs we need to get him in there because they know that once you get in in the office you'll sign and it was a good decision i love my forerunner but they know and we know and i'm sure that a lot of the contractors that we work with know this as well like somebody wants to move forward with getting that job done on their house. They need to get it done. We know they need to get it done. We're providing a valuable service. But then the time comes for them to sign something, that's not fun. Nobody wants to do that. So I agree with you, Matt, 100%. Make, schedule the time, if you can afford it right now, to hire someone even part-time to save you time. And that's their whole job, is essentially onboarding a customer into the process of getting your their work started. That's all they do. They schedule 30-minute calls 
with folks, walk them through signing the, the agreement so you save time on mistakes that are made when people are signing the agreement. And, you know, somebody who's really good at just talking to customers, somebody who's really uh, gregarious, kind of outgoing, find the right person, that, that mix of like good customer service mixed with attention to detail, get that stuff done. You're not only increasing the customer's experience, improving the customer's experience, but you're improving your own at the same time. And you're also freeing yourself up to go make more money. Absolutely. Gave me so, so many good ideas and what, of what I would do. If you know that that part of the process, we know that that's going to feel a little ugly uh, inside just from human nature. If you haven't built enough value, what I would do then is call it out as part of the, pro- I would build this into the process and say, after working with, you know, hundreds of homeowners in our area, one thing that we know and after being in business for X number of years, so you build some value, good buddy of mine, Ryan Tuck would taught me this, build some value, call it out that you, you may feel a little bit weird on the inside. That's okay. That's normal. It's part of, it's just part of how, how you will feel. But what I can assure you of, and then refer back to how many happy homeowners you've got in this area, is that we've been in business for X number of years. We've helped thousands of people through this process and they felt just like you you are about to right now. Like, tell them that's what's going to happen. And then they'll they'll get some comfort out of that. And just on the on the nugget that you dropped there in terms of having someone who could handle this for for a roofing company or for a construction company. I would then make that person's job to check in with the with the homeowner throughout the, the build and the process and then afterward and then think about how many more customers you would get from referrals, how, how much of a strong testimonial you'll get um, by checking in on them and making sure that they're getting everything that you said they'd get. That in itself, we could, could three or four extra business right there. Huge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You find that person and you give, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome, Matt. Like a customer success manager, essentially, like someone who really wants your, your customers to be happy. I love that piece that you said about getting those, those referrals from that, getting those testimonials again, all stuff that you don't want somebody who is, who their primary function is selling to be doing right. That's not, I mean, at least from most of the sales folks that I've had the opportunity to work with, that's not so much the stuff that lights their fire. They like that initial part that you're talking about, where it's like, here's the real value of the product. I want to get you sold on this. I believe in this product. I know you're going to like it. But on the backside, like they don't want to do nothing. And I don't blame them. You know, there's things that I don't like to do in work that I'm not gifted for. And so is that, that's kind of the takeaway there. Trying for like, it's really hard to look at what's not happening right within your organization. So you need to, step one is Step outside, potentially find a consultant or someone that you know has been where you're wanting to go, who who has the results on the board, who can help you look at the inefficiencies or where you what you're not doing or where you're at right now. They can help you get to where you want to be, stepping away from the business, investing that time. Um, and then you can implement these types of things in, as part of the process. I, I don't know how many people are doing it. I know it's nowhere near enough, but if they just did that, imagine the power that would have. Yeah. Huge book that I, uh, I recommend. I can't remember who the author was, but the book, The Toyota Way. I highly recommend The Toyota Way. Yeah. Nice. Which is why I own a forerunner now. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> sort of in, in line with, with where we've been, I want to talk about something that you um, brought light on, you shared with us 
Katie and myself, is that you love goals, you crush goals. A lot of people set goals and that's kind of where they end. So I want to talk about, you know, what goals mean to you, how you've done them differently and how you how you actually achieve the things that you set out for. Some of the things you've you've mentioned through your experience, they're not easy to do. Not anyone can do that. Um, and you've got a process for that. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I was greatly influenced by a book, and this is the other book that I would recommend on the other side. So, right, you got that first part where it's solving for inefficiencies, identifying all the issues in your organization. That's the Toyota way. And there's a lot more pieces to that that you'll learn if you were to pick up that book or just go online and like look up the bullet points. Um, And then the other one is the four disciplines of execution. Four disciplines of execution. I think it's from a Harvard business professor. I can't remember his name either, but absolutely amazing. And the basic, the biggest principles that I took away from that book and have implemented into my work over the years is this idea that whenever you are setting a goal, you mentioned Matt, we kind of stop with, I want to make $10 million this year. Well, great. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to sell a lot of my product. Okay. That's great. How are you going to do that? I'm trying to think of another example because this really works anywhere in life. Let's take marriage. Like I said, I've been married 17 years now. I have a good marriage. Been very fortunate. A lot of people want to have a happy marriage. Well, the first thing you got to determine is what does that mean? How do you define a happy marriage? Okay. So you define it. You define a happy marriage as when we fight, we don't yell, right? When we go on or when we go out on a date, we get along. We enjoy each other's company. We're able to just have fun and not have to worry about anything else going on with the kids or work or whatever. Okay. So obviously there's a lot more things that go into a happy marriage, but let's say that's my definition of a happy marriage. Okay. Those are my, those are my performance indicators. If we're not yelling and if we're going out on great dates, I know that I have a happy marriage. Okay, so what am I going to do to make that happen? Well, um, I'll go on some dates every once in a while, or I will every once in a while do a breathing exercise so that I don't yell when we're having a fight. Am I going to have a happy marriage? Well, maybe just because I have those intentions and I want a happy marriage. Yeah, maybe I might get there. You have a business, you want to make $10 million. Are you going to make $10 million because you want the $10 million? Yeah, just by saying the number, yeah, you're probably going to get closer than the guy who doesn't have a number right? Yeah. But at the same time, okay, what are the very specific measurable things that I can do to achieve those performance indicators, the numbers, the the things that define a happy marriage? What can I do that I think, not even know, but I think there's a really good chance that by performing this activity over and over and over again, that I'm going to improve my marriage? Well, okay. So let's talk about the first one. I don't want to yell when I fight. Okay. Meditation right? Mindfulness meditation. I know a lot of business owners uh, do this, a lot of entrepreneurs. I've done it in the past and I know that it helps to reduce my anxiety. It makes me a much calmer person. I'm just kind of like present in the moment. So I'm going to meditate 10 minutes every single morning. And I believe that by meditating 10 minutes every single morning, that the chances of me yelling when I'm in an argument or her yelling when we're in an argument is decreased by us participating in that one activity. I believe that by exercising 30 minutes a day, by getting my heart rate up, I'm going to reduce stress as a result of work or raising kids or whatever. That's also going to bring me a sense of calm and control and discipline over my body and my mouth and everything else. So that's great. Okay. 
I am going to commit. Those are my goals. I believe that ultimately that it's going to make it less likely for me to yell. I believe that is ultimately going to help me to have a happier marriage. Do the same thing with, what was the second piece? Going out on a date. Okay. I am 100% of the time going to plan my date within 24 hours of us going on the date so that we don't get in the car and then decide what we're going to do. Because I know that's not going to be fun. Right? Okay. I do that 100% of the time within 24 hours. I can feel confident that we're going to have more fun on our dates. I can feel more confident that we're going to have a happy marriage. That's the way that we approach goals. I want to make $10 million. Okay. How do you know you're going to make $10 million? Well, I know that if I sell a lot of my product, I'm going to make $10 million. How much of your product do you have to sell? Is it 40? Is it 50? Is it 60 units? Is it a hundred units? Okay, great. Now we know how to define that piece. that's going to flow up into our ultimate revenue goal. Great. What actions can I take that are measurable that will help me to sell 50 or 60 or hundred of my product? I don't know. It could be that follow-up process. We are going to follow up with each one of our prospects three times within the first seven days and just get it done. And we're going to aim to do that 100% of the time. Even if we fall a little short, we know based on experience, based on the industry that we're in, we know that if we do that, that is going to increase the likelihood of our increasing our units sold, which is going to in turn affect our revenue, which we have no direct control over, but we do have direct control over how many follow-ups we do. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's the approach that I take to goals. And I think once you do that, it's just a blast because going back to that employee like satisfaction piece, now everybody knows what their job is. Now I know as a husband that my job is to meditate 10 minutes a day. I get to feel good when I do that, feel like I'm doing part of my job. I know that as a salesperson, my job is to do three follow-ups or like I mentioned earlier, make sure that it's automated, whatever that role might be. I need to call this many folks. I need to set this many appointments. But at the end of the day, I can hang my hat, go into the life that I'm helping to fund through my work, feel like I did my job and know with confidence that the company is going to meet its goals or has a much better chance of meeting its goals than it would have if I hadn't actually planned to that level of detail. Get granular with the dates. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody needs to have a number. Everybody in your organization needs to have a number. They need to know what it means to win. And then you got to hold them accountable to it. That's it. And just the satisfaction people would get because the sales is probably the easier metric to measure. But like you said, it's when you get away from measuring the end result and you you start measuring the actions required to get the result. Um, and that's where the win all up, because we we know, we know if X is done, if, if we've, if I've done, I personally know if I do, if I post twice a day, and I put the content out, I will get X number of messages and leads, which will result in X number of appointments, which will which will result in X number of sales. So if I do the work, I should be proud of that. And I can that's a great accomplishment. I think that's one big takeaway that everyone could implement today. And that brings up something else that's really fantastic, Matt, is like if you're if you're measuring that, if you're keeping track of those two videos that you post every day, so you know I posted two videos most days. And then on some days I posted one, there was a few weeks where I didn't post any. And you take those numbers. And at the same time, you're also tracking daily. This is the number of new leads that came in. This is the number of, of sales calls where I was able to close. Now you're building up data and you're building up some, some wonderful data so that the next time you start setting goals, you know, 
you know what? When I was doing two videos a day, I was getting six leads. I want, I want 10 leads. I need to do three videos a day. Then I know I'm going to get nine to 10 leads. Maybe I'll do four, whatever. All that data is starting to tell a story that helps you to know what you need to do. What are the right actions to take in order to meet your goal? So that's a really good point. I'm going to shift tune here uh, before we wrap up. And I'd love you to share a bit more about your not-for-profit. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my wife and I started a not-for-profit, not something that we've been looking at for years. Um, it's called Bless This Brain. And what that's born out of, like I mentioned before, I spent you know a decade or more in ministry. During that time, I was encountering mental health challenges, but I didn't feel like as a person of faith, specifically as a man, that I could talk about living with depression, living with anxiety. You know, as guys, when we're growing up, we're taught, like, get the hell over it. Don't talk about it, whatever. And I've seen guys do that and they come across as tough guys. Ultimately, their lives are destroyed by themselves in 100% of cases nearly. And so, and then also, if you're part of a church, part of a faith organization, you know, you, you're taught that everything that you do is the result of not being faithful enough, that you need to pray more, that you need to do, you know, go to church more, whatever. And all those things are good things, right? But at the same time, when I started talking openly about my mental health challenges, I had multiple people, multiple men and women who reached out and said, hey, this is my story exactly. Like I kept it secret. I had to hide it. I suffered for a really long time. You know, they wanted to know like what could be done about it. What we do in our organization is a couple of things. One, we just go around and talk about it. That's huge. I had somebody come up to me after this last talk that I gave. It was this guy, you know, he struck me as just like a hardworking dude. You know, he's probably in his mid forties. He's he comes up to me and he says, I'm a father to like three young girls. He said, I was suffering from anxiety for a long time. I took medication. I went and saw a doctor and I don't care what people, some different people have different uh, opinions about medication, whatever. They go see a therapist, they get whatever psychiatric help they need and whatever they feel comfortable with. But for him, that's what it was. It was medication. He said, and now yeah. I'm able to, uh, now I'm able to be a dad. And that's the kind of stuff that, that comes from the teaching. Uh, the mental health care system here in the States, really hard. A lot of folks don't have insurance, whatever. So that's the other part that we do is we come alongside people and we help them to find doctors. This yeah. is all within Tucson, all within our local community. And then we create that's support so cool. groups. So yeah, that's what we're doing, man. We've been going for a few months now. We've been, like I said, we've been thinking about it for, for years. Um, and so far the response has just been overwhelming and really, really encouraging. So we're kind of, we're just hoping to get to that place where, you know, folks can talk, talk about mental health challenges the way that they would talk about having the flu. Like there's no shame. Your brain is part of your body. Things can go wrong with all parts of us, right? Something can go wrong there and we just deal with it. No shame. That's such impactful work. And it, where can people find more information about that? Uh, they can go to blessthisbrain.com. Bless this brain or bless, bless this brain. Bless. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. I originally called it bless this broken brain and everybody told me don't call it that. So I had to change it to bless this yeah. brain. Bless this brain is good. I like that. Yeah. 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 And a bit shorter. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. not as, uh, you know, what's the word? Uh, I can't remember, but anyways, yes. Yeah. yeah. Focus is on the positive. So that's a good thing. Yep. Well, my good man, um, we've gone through so much good stuff. We've dropped nuggets. We've, we've fired some bombs. We've, we've thrown some punches. I think it's time to wrap it up. JC, you've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, go and enjoy your sister's wedding. You've got a four hour drive. <laughs> uh, 
any last words before you sign off, buddy? No, I am I am so thankful to have the opportunity, Matt, to just like speak into this issue. I love operations and really all it is is it's just taking your organization and turning it into a well-oiled machine so that things that you can do well, you can do a lot more of and see a lot more return. And I think it's something that anybody can do. So operations, systems, they breed freedom. They do. That's a I like that. I swiped it from my buddy. Well, we Ryan's should make a t-shirt with. that says that. Ryan said, okay, <laughs> yeah. come on, Ryan, sell that yeah. t-shirt. Thank you very much, my good man. And thanks for following along today on the I Drink From Scales podcast. Look out for the next episode. We'll see you soon. We're off.